It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many brutes are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it's only something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen got no seats. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in the fire, the system of the gangs, the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, leave the jury beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And bloom. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a halcyon hiatus in a post-Halloween world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 700, 700 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. I am, what am I, a grand old man with a brand new plan, and that's to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And the hostess with the mostest, so adorable, puppies watch videos of her. (laughs) Who wouldn't? And who wouldn't? (laughs) Together, we are the watchers on the wall, and we watch it all for you to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with an unbearable bear? Well, a bear, bear, right? (laughs) Our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. That's right. Don't listen to a darn thing we say, or at least don't admit to it. But some (laughs) of it might just make some sense to you, and I don't mean nonsense. Hey, what's the gist, survivalist? We learn as much from you as you do from us, so connect with us, will you? It's easy, and here's the beautiful Nurse Amy to tell you how. It is super easy. You can contact us by email at dr, that's Dr. Bones Podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at AOL.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. Our pages, Doom and Bloom, and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, DR Bones Nurse Amy, and our video cast at AroundTheCabin.com. That's the first wow. and third Wednesday of every month. Wow, that is a lot. And I think the third Wednesday's coming up. I'm tired. This week. Yeah, that's right. We're see <laughs> no, our the video first cast. Wednesday's coming up. 
It's yep. November. That's right. That's right. How Just does in that happen? a couple happen? of days, man, it is, the year has gone fast. And you want to know what else has gone fast? Goodness. The last five years, because we were right here in our uh, little home in the Great Smoky Mountains uh-huh. in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, five years ago when we began to do our podcast. Oh my goodness. That's right. Yes, yeah, so uh, it's like a five year anniversary right. for us. It was a pretty amazing oh. podcast in the, which the internet was so bad. I think we lost connection probably like ten times during and, that right, hour. Right. And we <laughs> It was horrifying. It was <laughs> I, I have to say that it was a oh. learning experience and believe me there is and it a was learning live. Yep. There's a learning curve to just about everything. Yeah. That's and true. we had to go through it but it was worth it. We've been, it's been five years down the road mm-hmm. and we I remember when mm-hmm. we were looking at ourselves and saying, you know, is it really crazy or not to talk about fish antibiotics? And sure enough, uh, we got up the gumption to talk about it, and hopefully, some of you out there have some antibiotics in your supplies storage. that you Yay. medical storage that you might not have had I otherwise. Have some. Right? I have some. <laughs> you do. I know. Uh, boy, do we! And and I'll tell you that there. I really believe in my heart that there will be some deaths that will be avoided as a result. So we're here in uh, the Great Smoky Mountains in Gatlinburg. Tennessee, mm-hmm. that is in the eastern part of uh, the state of Tennessee. Just on the other side of the park. Right, exactly. And if you go up the mountain, you're actually in North Carolina. That's how close we are to the state line. Mm-hmm. And it is just beautiful. And uh, it's smoky for a reason. But they have a lot of. <laughs> it is smoky today. Yep, a lot of humidity and. Uh, We're actually in the clouds right now. Right. We're in a temperate rainforest, actually, and there are more species of trees and a lot of other plants than you'll find pretty much anywhere in the country if you go here to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And tell the folks who are listening why that is. And why... They have more tree species. What happened to make that happen? Uh, The Ice Age. I thought it was interesting when you told me about this. Yep, yep. The Ice Age came... Um, all the way down, all the ice came down to this area, mm-hmm. and it sort of dragged rocks and plants and stuff Canada, from Canada, through right? The northern part of the the country. Yep. So before it, it was the country. <laughs> in the north, in the higher elevations, you'll see trees that uh, you'll also see in southern Canada, and down here you'll see trees that you'll see in even in Georgia, and and places like that. No coconut palms though no no but no. i do actually see banana plants actually survive yeah, here the which i are, think is pretty amazing right but are they actually producing bananas bananas that's the question that's right <laughs> and one other thing that is very interesting is that the they even have hibiscus bushes that you might find in the midst of the mountains the in, forest yeah in an forest area areas. where there used to be a homestead that you still still like see decorations right, right. It's pretty They also impressive. used, what was it, boxwood? Yes, boxwood and uh, hibiscuses were used as uh, decorations back there. And you still, if you travel, you know, we hike a lot. And if you hike through the mountain, you'll actually come across some old homesteads, uh, chimneys, and some of these boxwood bushes. And Right, and you might see a pattern. That's the thing that really stands out. You may see a pile of rubble, which yep. was from there. Uh, firewood, but it's possible that you're going to see some of those boxwoods in a pattern. Yeah, so it's really beautiful out here. I just want to let you people know that if you have not visited 
the Great Smoky Mountains. Come and join us here at uh, the Birdhouse Inn. That's the name of our our place here, and it really has an awesome view of Mount Leconte, one of the the highest elevation in the park itself. We're, and we're seeing all sorts of wildlife, bears. We saw um, chipmunk, chipmunks all over the place. We don't have chipmunks in South Florida, but we do have them here. And so I strongly recommend you visit this part of the country. Now, especially if you like the great outdoors. Well, you know, the, the great outdoors, well, it's it's great. But you know what? There's also danger in them, thar hills, and it pays to know what to do when you encounter it. Now, I've talked about animal bites in uh, a lot of videos, some of the articles that we've written, but I haven't shown you any actual animals. Uh, and you'll find them, however, in my latest video on bear attacks and how to prevent issues with bears. Uh, that's going to be coming up soon. Now, yeah, although I'll, I'll put it up soon. Okay. Although, There's a couple more in, ahead of it, though. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Although we're here at the Birdhouse Inn, uh, we're not talking about birds today. We're going to talk about bear. iguanas. Oh, no. Oh, no, oh, no bears. You're right, bears. I'm not too afraid of iguanas, <laughs> but, wow, the bears... Are just all over the place here. If iguanas were ten feet high, tall and thirty Sharp feet long, teeth. you would probably wouldn't like them. But but we're going to talk about bears, which are pretty big and they have sharp teeth too. Now, bears are mammals of the family Ursidae, and I'll bet you out there don't know what their closest living relative is. And guess what? I thought that was pretty it's, unusual yep, to find out. It's seals. <laughs> Yep, that's right. And there, there, there are a lot of, well, there are a number of species of bear, but the one around here is the American black bear. There are about 1,800 black bears that live in the Smoky Mountains National Park, and many of them have become very accustomed to human. Not such a great thing. I mean, there are several in the area right around this property, or mostly youngsters, I guess, that have decided that ha- Halloween pumpkins are a are tasty, tasty treat. Yeah, right, right. They like those pumpkins. They sure do. And uh, I guess we should have known, really, because bears, indeed, eat more plant matter than meat. They take in pretty much opportunistically whatever they can find, uh, like acorns, even things like acorns. Or like the trash that's unlocked in front right. of these houses. That's exactly what I was about to say. That, you know, <laughs> in years, especially in years where there are low supplies of uh, acorns and other foods like that, that that's called mast, M-A-S-T, mast. Now that results in bears indeed moving out of their backcountry territory to look for alternative food sources like your trash. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, even we've, though... We've seen some disturbed trash cans around Oh, here. yes, we have. Matter of fact, a lot of them are... A lot of trash cans in in this area, our trash cans, are actually encased in an iron cage that has a lock. Has a lock, you yeah. know, uh, you, that bears can't get get into. Although I, they're so smart, I'm sure they're going to figure out a way to do it one day. Well, they're unlocking car doors now. Yeah, that, <laughs> actually, I locked our car door, and we had a cub that. Who thinks to lock their doors? <laughs> you know, this is a very quiet, safe area. Yeah, we never lock our doors, and after 16 years, apparently. The new bears have all learned how to, indeed, open car doors. It's pretty darn... So you darn, to make sure they're locked up. It's pretty darn amazing. Uh, you know, black bears are only about eight ounces when they're born, but the males, once they're adults, uh, males, interestingly enough, are called boars, like pigs, uh, male pigs, and uh, the females are called sows, like female pigs. Uh, they can weigh 500 pounds 
pounds or more. That's pretty big, and that puts you in danger no matter how cute you think that these critters are. Now, to prevent injuries from bear encounters, situational awareness is the order of the day. You always should watch out for watch out for disturbed trash, fresh tracks, and of course, actual bears. Probably a good idea. Uh, now, some basic advice: don't hike alone whenever possible. We should hike in groups. Ninety percent of people injured by bears in Yellowstone National Park—I guess these would be grizzlies mostly—were uh, alone, or they were with only one other hiking partner. Now, avoid hiking at times when bears are out. Uh, that's uh, in the warm weather months. Would be dawn, dusk, and at night. Uh, you're just as likely, remember, to come upon a bear as it is to come upon you. And you you might not think that it's smart to yell, hey, bear, or sing the star-spangled banner on the trail. But believe it or not, bears don't like noise. It's actually a pretty good strategy, especially when you're traveling near babbling brooks or other settings where normal hiking noises, uh, like you're stomping around uh, in your hiking boots, might be muffled. Just don't do that with a hamburger or a hot dog in your hand. That is not a good idea. Now, when it, when you encounter a bear, it will hopefully be at a distance. Now, if so, and the bear doesn't actually see you, keep out of sight and go slowly behind and downwind of the bear if you can. Now, if the bear does see you, then that's different. Then you should slowly retreat the way you came. A bear in defensive mode is going to make some noises. It's going to huff, it may hiss, it may make moaning sounds, or it might even slap the ground with its paws. It's telling you that you are too close. So put some distance between you and the bear. However, don't run because it might just activate a chase response in the animal. Now, if the bear follows you, now this this is important to know. If the bear follows you, quietly with its ears erect its attention clearly directed at you then you might be in trouble it's likely in predatory mode and it's not acting defensively the key here is to make yourself appear larger louder and more threatening like that like that that's scary she scared me there if i was a bear i'd hit the road man now groups by the way you you think they'd scatter, but the truth is groups should stay together to look like a bigger threat. Well, that's because you, you can give the the weaker one to the bear as a snack while the oh, bear runs away. Oh, how cruel. <laughs> See how, how cruel. Well, Fred, you haven't been eating as much as the rest of us, so we're going to leave you as a snack while we run. It just goes to show how... Oh, wait, that's cruel, huh? Yeah, how cruel. Show, I would sh- never do that. Goes to show how cruel would, beautiful women are. No, I would it really never, is. ever do that. Yeah, that's right. I would fight. Arr. Now, a bear that's initially curious or testing you might become predatory if you appear meek. So, yes, you should fight, just like you say. That's right. Now, you should have a deterrent, like pepper spray at least, or other items of personal defense. Those will come in handy. And, by the way, pepper spray is most effective at close range, say, 5 to 10 feet. Mm -hmm. But I'd like you to start spraying if the bear is coming at you before then. They're fast. Because they may walk into a little cloud of this stuff and find that it's not pleasant and may decide go to the other way. go the other way. Which sounds like a wonderful idea. Let's say that doesn't happen and the bear attacks. If the bear attacks, don't run. You cannot outrun a black bear. It runs 
30 to some people say up 40, to 40 miles per hour yeah so that's important don't climb a tree unless you're a squirrel because let's face it buddy you ain't 10 years old anymore it takes longer than you think and you know what your pursuer is that pursuer is actually really really good at climbing trees right no matter how big they could be big but they actually climb trees very well not only do they climb trees but they can get on really skinny branches right in front of our house Oh, yeah. some bears on branches that look like they could not hold a bear. Right. And they were very agile I don't on know those how, overhanging I branches don't know how they that do were yeah. skinny. So don't think you can climb higher than a bear because he's not going to stop till he gets to you. Yeah, I think that bear found some berries way up in the and tree. And they were, what they were doing, they or, were really... Maybe muscadine grapes. There's they, a lot of grapevine here. But remember, they were really smart. There are three of them on the ground. Right. And one of them climbed up and over the overhanging branch right. and was batting and swinging. He was shaking that branch right. as much as possible and things were falling down to the ground and the other, and the other were bears eating were eating. Right. Now, we didn't get close enough to actually see what they were munching on because we kept a safe distance. Yes, very wise. <laughs> In fact, just at our door, and they were down the road. We were not near or close to them whatsoever, just so you guys know. We're very, very smart about bear safety. Uh, but we could see them shaking the trees. And, um, yeah, they were on this tiny little branch that we thought he was going to fall out of. So they'll get up, and they'll keep going. Yeah, man. And you know what? If they... Keep going, and they keep going at you. Use your deterrent. And where are you going to go when you get up that tree? Yeah, that's right. You know? Exactly. So You're kind of stuck. So don't climb point. a tree. Right. Use your deterrent. Fight for your life, because get, that is basically what's at stake. Kick, punch, hit the bear, especially on the face, the eyes, the nose, with whatever you have. Well, that's the same thing you would do if a human was trying to attack you also. Right. It's kind of the same thing. In fact, if you had a big enough tree... And they were running toward, it was running towards you. I would at least get behind the tree so it couldn't just full force run into you. It would have to stop and go around the tree. And, you know, maybe you could dance around the tree a little bit back and forth, possibly keeping some structure between right. you and those those bear claws and those bear teeth. Right. And maybe you could get some punches in around right. the tree. If you think or, about it, anything between a, you and a bear is good. Or a mulberry bush. Around, around the mulberry bush, the uh, bear chased okay, Amy. No, I don't trust a mulberry da, 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 bush. Da, 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 However, da, da. if you did have a tree. Pop well, went the bear. If you think about it, at least he would have to stop at the tree. He couldn't just run and jump on you. He'd have to stop and go around the tree. And then maybe at that point, you can now, you know, at least dance around for a while. Maybe he'll get tired. Or again, maybe you can reach around the tree and sock him in the nose. <laughs> Well, you would have to have pretty long arms, but if you can, or at least maybe a, big the tree maybe a stick, your pepper spray, you know. That, we always carry can, sticks. Yeah. If you can carry, if you can have a barrier there, that might not, might not be a bad thing. And don't make a small stick. We, I mean, what we do is we make walking sticks before yeah. we go on a trail. We find, you know, there's always downed branches. And a lot of times in this park, people will make walking sticks and they'll leave them at the head of the trail. And so you'll find them leaning up against the trail sign um, and at the beginning of it. So people, you know, kind of share those. So a lot of times you'll find one made already or you can make your own. And, you know, just make it comfortable. But if you think about it, long enough, probably three feet, four feet tall. And if you have your walking stick, it's something. Something is better than nothing. And walking sticks also give you a little bit of um, uh, support. Uh, while you're walking, especially if you're going, you know, kind of on an angle up, 
mm-hmm. a trail gives you right. some stability, extra stability, so you don't fall. Well, let's say you don't have really a barrier there. Now, the question is, should you play dead? You'll probably have read in various places to play dead. Now, maybe that works with grizzly bears, but bears like black bears will uh, definitely feed on carrion like deer carcasses. So, in my opinion, why pretend to be one? I mean, if you do, however, decide to do that. Keep your backpack on, lie face down, clasp your hands over the back of your neck with your elbows protecting the side of your face. Uh, a bear that's just protecting its clubs may may decide you're no, no longer a threat, which is not uh, probably a good thing. It still leaves you, however, with bite and claw injuries that may be bleeding. So make sure that that backpack of yours has dressings, tourniquets, hemostatic agents, antiseptics, and other supplies needed for treating wounds. Now, studies have shown that bears accustomed to humans never live as long a life as truly wild bears. Bears lose their fear by being fed by humans. Yeah. And as a result, many of these are hit by cars or end up euthanized. Remember this, a fed bear is a dead bear. Well, and this happens a lot up here in vacation rentals because the people aren't thinking about the consequences. Right. Don't know what of, to do. Of the next people. So they, they want to attract bears. Everybody comes up here. They want to see a bear. If there's one on the side of the road, believe me, there's a mile-long car train. Right. They're all sitting there waiting to take pictures of yeah. the bear. So if renters up in these vacation areas see bears... They tend to throw out their leftover burgers or french fries because they want the bears to come back. Unfortunately, the next people who rent these these places are unaware that these bears have been fed and maybe they are less afraid of humans. And now you're susceptible to a bear attack. I mean, they just think you're somebody who's going to throw them food. They may not even be thinking about you as food, but they think of you as someone who has food, and they may approach and get aggressive. So please don't feed the bears. I know people and have said leads, this over and over and over, but you're feeding a bear is some leftover bear. food. Not only killing the bear, but you could actually put another human being's life in danger by doing that. There so you, you don't want some little two-year-old getting eaten by a bear because you gave them your leftover french fries the week before. So just think about that. Well, bear with me. Bear with you. For a minute. To get a little <laughs> housekeeping out of the way before we talk about the next thing. And you know what? We actually haven't talked about this for a while on, on mm-hmm. the show. But, you know, uh, we actually have a book. The book is called book. The Survival Medicine Handbook. It's a three-category Amazon bestseller, number one Amazon bestseller, mm-hmm. even one of the top 100 books on Amazon. And you know what? If you get a copy of our Amazon bestseller, you'll get a head start in any disaster epidemic. Make sure that you put our book, The Survival Medicine Handbook, in your survival library. That is something that I want you to do is go to mm-hmm. Amazon.com or you can get a copy personally autographed to you by going to our website at Doom and Bloom. And by the way, for those of you who have kept our book on the most wished for list on Amazon, uh, but are a little short on cash, you know, we do have a, sh- a shorter, abridged, less expensive version of our book published by Skyhorse Publishing. They call it the Ultimate Survival Medicine Guide. And that is now available on Amazon as well. 
So don't forget that Nurse Amy also has put together a really awesome line of medical kits for times of trouble, as well as individual items. So check those out at survival.doomandbloom.net. We'll call those medical kits nurse and doctor approved. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> nurse and practitioner and doctor and approved. And gunny approved. <laughs> yep. Our, well, that's the website. That's right. That's right. Now, listen, <clears throat> yes. I want to say... That uh, in the news, if you're a fan of Mexican food, you're going to be unhappy. Uh-oh. Or maybe you'll be happy. I like Mexican food. Maybe you'll be happy that the Chipotle restaurant chain has temporarily closed down dozens of its restaurants in the Northeast after a big E. coli scare. Oh, well, I don't eat there. Okay. <laughs> I know a lot of people like it. I just have never tried it, honestly. Yep. Well, that's a good question. Now, no one has died in the recent reported cases of infection, uh, the Washington State Department of Health says, but there's at least seven people in the state of Washington in the hospital as a result, and at least one patient in Oregon. Uh-oh. Oregon. What'd they get? Okay. they The source of contamination has yet to be determined, but, but <laughs> it appears to be that there are cases of E. coli, and they have... Oh. Link them to a handful of locations, maybe about, I think, just six locations in the Seattle and Portland area. Uh, but just to be safe, Chipotle has temporarily closed 43 stores and is working with health departments to help determine the cause of the cases. That gives me a stomach ache just thinking about it. <laughs> well, this is an E. coli infection. Oh, and so sure enough. Eat at home, it folks, and it, cook your food yeah, well. It wouldn't surprise me. Absolutely. Yep. Infections with E. coli, by the way, it's actually called Escherichia coli, uh, can cause severe stomach cramps, vomiting, and diarrhea. Mm. This, and in worst cases, it's often bloody diarrhea. Ugh. There may be a fever. It's usually low, not, not always present, according to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control mm-hmm. and Prevention. But the thing that you should know is most of these infections resolve on their own after a few days, but some can become very life-threatening. Uh, e. coli bacteria is actually... Commonly found in human and animal intestines. It's a key component, actually, of oh, having a healthy digestion. It lives in our bodies naturally. That's, Absolutely. That's right. You're, it's the overgrowth. Right. Or and, the addition. <laughs> well, you're supposed to have them, but it's not just that. But there are strains. There are hundreds of strains of yep. E. coli. And some are, most are harmless, actually. But some are not. And, and the colitis, or inflammation of the intestine, caused by Escherichia coli O157H7. Wow, that must be, it must be a lot of they different strains. Identified the yeah. exact one is particularly nasty. It produces a toxin called Shiga, S-H-I-G-A, that causes about three thousand hospitalizations and ninety deaths a year in the United States. Again, I'm getting a stomachache just thinking about it. Oh, how horrible! So the death Ouch. rate is is low. I mean, maybe up to two percent, but there are rates that run as high as sixteen to thirty-five percent in outbreaks involving the elderly. These usually occur at nursing homes. So if you have a family member in a nursing home, be vocal about any defects that you see <coughs> in the hygiene of the facility. You may save your loved one's life. Now, the CDC says that infections start when you get tiny amounts of human or animal feces in oh, your mouth. Gross. You would think that that is impossible, but you'd be surprised that this to know that this actually happens 
pretty often. Oh, Luck- luckily for us, we have to talk about this. without any infection <laughs> most times. I apologize, mm. folks. I hope you're not eating okay. a meal while you're listening yeah. to this. <laughs> now, common sources of infection are, are human and animal contact in the farming industry. Matter of fact, just last April, at least 25 people took ill with E. coli infections after mm. visiting a dairy fair in the state of Washington. Oh, Washington again. How about that? So, boy, if you're in Washington, mm. it has been a lot of there have been a lot of E. coli uh, outbreaks. Okay. Not only does no hamburger or steak they, for us. That's <laughs> right. But you know what? E. coli can get on all kinds of things. You're right. It can get on fruit or anything like that. Not only does people have gotten it from salads. Yep. You think, oh, I'm safe if I eat a salad. You don't have to cook that. But there's been all kinds of digestive infections that cause serious, serious problems. From salad bars, from, sure. from contaminated lettuce and fruits and vegetables. Sure, because yeah, food workers can carry harmful E. coli <laughs> simply by not thoroughly washing their hands. And right. they go go from uh, cooking a steak or, or, or handling some meat to making salad for the day for, at, at a restaurant. The CDC, as a matter of fact, has investigated more than 20 major E. coli outbreaks just in the last few years. I actually saw someone here... Not this time we were up here, but two years ago when we were here, make us a salad at a pizza place. Okay. With her bare hands. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, awesome. Yeah. Yes, that salad went in the trash. Yeah. Well, I was usually I say something. I just, I, I don't know what. I just didn't want to say anything. You know, every once in a while. You're so polite. Except to me. Usually, no, that's not true. I'm very polite. But most of the time, I will say something. Just that one time, I was like, forget it. She just looks like it's never going to change anything. So, Well, you might have saved it. It wasn't a major train. It was just a little mom and pop thing. And it was just like a teenage girl. She'd probably been working there a week, but... Well, maybe there was actually a very large family, but because they got E. coli infections, that there were down to just one. I feel guilty about not saying anything, but I was trying to be polite by not saying anything. Uh, Well, let's talk a little bit about the (laughs) symptoms of this intestinal infection. Uh, As I said, it's also called colitis, and it generally begins about oh one to five days after you've been infected with the uh, harmful E. coli bacteria. And symptoms uh, include abdominal cramping, uh, a sudden severe watery diarrhea that can change to bloody stools, uh, a lot of gas, uh, nausea, maybe vomiting, Mm -hmm. of course, fatigue, and some people get a fever, as I mentioned before, usually not very high, but it can can get high. Well, the problem is when you get sick, it's one to five days. How many people can remember exactly where and what they ate the past five days. Of course. If you had to write this down, where did you eat? What did you order? If you cooked food at home, where did the food come from? And exactly what did you consume? I bet a lot of people could not write down exactly what they ate in the past five days. I think it would be impossible, frankly. I couldn't do it. That's for sure. Now, symptoms can last anywhere from a few days to more than a week. Now, if it gets out of hand, there's actually some pretty serious complications that you might get there's something called hemolytic uremic syndrome it's a mouthful but you can just call it hus and that's a condition in which the red blood cells are damaged and also leads to kidney failure of course this could be life-threatening especially seen in children and the elderly well that's what i was going to mention when you talked about the nursing home is that children small children are highly susceptible and 
if you think about it, it makes sense because people who get diarrheal disease, the more susceptible people are the elderly and the children. So right. it's the same folks that are being targeted with this illness. In this person, they'll have their diarrhea like you would normally see. But about five to ten days after the onset of the diarrhea, you'll start seeing blood in the urine. You'll see decreased production of urine due to kidney damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the skin may bruise because of damage to uh, red blood cells. And, of course, you always have to remember the most common major complication of severe diarrhea may, caused by just about anything, uh, and that's dehydration. Absolutely. More and is going out than is coming that's in. That's right, and, and, and that the, will kill you. And it's not that sometimes it's coming in. It's that you're not absorbing it in the right way so that you're taking you may be drinking a lot of fluids but if your body is unable to absorb that properly it's just coming out the other end exactly and we talked a little bit about the fact that it's uh, in the past that fact the fact that it's so difficult to get supplies of intravenous fluids yes that is a big issue a major (coughs) frustration for me uh, that I believe there are going to be a lot of avoidable deaths caused by simple dehydration because we couldn't get fluids in people. Matter of fact, so much so that I even dredged up an uh, archaic form of uh, rehydration called rectal rehydration. And you can find that on the website. Just look up rectal rehydration. It's not used today uh, pretty much, but you can learn about, about it and how that might be a way that you can get some fluids into people. Right, especially if people are vomiting. You, you right. put the, the vomiting along with severe di- uh, diarrhea, <clears throat> and it's just, again, coming out of both ends. And you can't even drink any fluid because the second you drink a sip, it, your body just rejects it and it comes right back up. So there's a video we have also on rectal rehydration. Oh, we do. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes, that's right. On DR Bones podcast. That's right. Now, uh, what are some causes of E. coli uh, infections that you'll see in survival settings? There are actually quite a few, uh, whether food's prepared at home or a restaurant or grocery store or in a bug-out camp. Unsafe handling and preparation can cause contamination. Your duty as medic is to prevent that from happening. So look out for these issues. Failing to wash hands completely in your people uh, before preparing food or eating food or after having a bowel movement. Now, that is going to be probably the major cause. Using utens- Wash the hands, right. people. Exactly. <laughs> Please wash your hands. Exactly. Thoroughly. U- using utensils, uh, cutting boards, serving dishes that aren't clean or have been used by another person recently without having been clean. Or sometimes people use these utensils and cutting boards and uh, not necessarily serving dishes, but the preparation of food of raw meat... And then they don't clean them properly, right. and then they use them to chop vegetables that are not being cooked, that are being put into salads. Right, let's say. And nothing's being killed. Yep. So, you know, your your hands can contaminate a, a lot of foods. If you think about everything that you're touching, you need frequent hand washing when preparing food absolutely also another big issue is consuming food that hasn't been stored at the right temperature or that um, bacteria from uh, livestock intestines for example uh, somehow is acquired during the slaughtering process somehow it gets contaminated 
when you're dressing an animal and you wind up having bacteria from that. Just working with animals, honestly, even pets could spread an E. coli infection if you don't wash your hands frequently, even mm-hmm. with your dog spot. So make sure you wash <laughs> your hands, okay? And don't eat your dog spot, please. <laughs> Unless you have to. Unless you really have to. No, we're not doing yeah. that. It's not also, happening. <laughs> also, consuming foods that aren't cooked to the right temperature or for the right duration of time, especially meats, meats and poultry. Meats and poultry, yeah. Uh, raw seafood products can do it sometimes. Uh, unpasteurized milk, that's something you'd see in uh, survival settings or any dairy products or really any food that's been left out too long or that you haven't worked to preserve it in some way. Now, consuming raw produce that hasn't been properly washed, uh, you know that the rinds or the skins of uh, apples, oranges, any take your pick vegetables um, that haven't been properly washed, that ends up being an issue, a big issue. Especially grapes. You know what? A lot of people will bring grapes home. Oh, yeah. You should make sure you're And they wash don't grapes. wash them. I, I always wash grapes and I peel them. <laughs> I I peel, I've I peel never every, seen. You yeah. know who does peel grapes though is the bird. The bird. Maybe does. the bird's the smartest. That's right. Our, our <laughs> African grape them. parrot TD is a very, very smart bird, and it peels its grapes. Very and, apt at peeling and, everything. And I peel when you say to peel you a grape. I, I peel yes, the grape and then yes. drop it in your mouth. An hour while later, while you're lounging <laughs> by your yacht and stuff oh yes okay. <laughs> okay i think you've gone off to some crazy fantasy world where <laughs> life is not hard honey come back to reality all right well here i am indeed i'm back to reality are you two decreased chances of e coli and other infections you have to act as the chief sanitation officer that is a big reality and that means that you have to supervise the proper sterilization sterilization of water mm-hmm. proper preparation of food and i'll bet medic you didn't think that that was your job but guess what it is one of your most important jobs now the good thing put put a big sign everywhere wash your hands wash your hands wash your hands yes that's right now e coli infections luckily do go away most cases after a few days but here are some signs where the things are getting complicated you're starting to scare me because you know that on halloween of 2015 that i had raw what Raw, raw oysters. oysters. Right. Yes, I you did. did. You did have raw oysters. Shucked fresh, hopefully fresh shucked. <laughs> and you know, it's funny that, just think about this for a second. Most people do eat some sushi here and there. And you think, well, you know, you might, usually people have it for dinner. They say, oh, I woke up in the morning and I'm not sick. But you're not safe yet. We're talking about one to five days before these infections can start. So that's yeah, it does take a few days. Scary. That's that's right. Now, let's say you have you get Uh diarrhea and you want to figure out whether or someone uh, you're the medic and someone has diarrhea. You want to have to figure out what's going on with them if it's going to get better. Basically, take them off solid food for a few hours. Put them just on liquids. Mm -hmm. uh, Keep them hydrated. But and see what happens if they have diarrhea that's not getting better after a few days uh, or less for a child because a child has less fluid volume, so they lose less fluid much, volume needs to be lost for dehydration. That's to right, say. much faster right. for them to get in serious troubles. Exactly. So that that's one thing. Now, of course, if the diarrhea comes with a fever, that is a bit of a concern. That could certainly be an E. coli infection, or it could be a number of other infections, right. salmonella, just de- shigella. And just dehydration can cause a little bit of an elevation That's right. in uh, temperature. 
Uh, abdominal pain that worsens doesn't improve after a bowel movement. Most people with diarrhea, once they have a bowel movement, they do feel better, at least temporarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you're abdom- you have abdominal pain, it doesn't improve after a bowel movement. You see someone with that, that's an issue. Of course, if there's blood or pus or anything unusual in the stool, you have to really <clears throat> be concerned that something's going on. Uh, you're constantly nauseous. You're vomiting. It just doesn't go away after, let's say, 12 hours, your full day of vomiting. you got a real problem because you people are, you're losing a lot of fluids. And you have di- di- diarrhea, too, so you're losing it from both ends. Now, of course, any of these symptoms, and you've recently traveled to a foreign country, traveler's diarrhea, very, very common. So yep. it's something that uh, you have to be aware of. And guess what? If you're bugging out, guess what you are? You are a traveler. Oh, yeah. And therefore, you are Foreign subject. water sources. Yep, all sorts of crazy stuff. And contaminated streams, streams and rivers right, and lakes. Right, if you don't pay close attention to sterilizing water, you could be in trouble. Uh, um, of course, if you have symptoms of dehydration, such as a lack of urine or extreme thirst, dizziness, stuff like that, that's a problem. Now, in modern times, the doctor confirms E. coli infections by taking a simply uh, a simple stool sample, sending it to a nearby lab. You're not going to find these after the, you know what hits the fan, of course. So it's important to look for all these signs and symptoms uh, that we're talking about so that you can figure out what's going on. So how to treat E. coli infections, medic? In most cases, rest and hydration and a little time is all that's going to be required to treat E. coli infection. Indeed, can be treated at home or in place without in most cases, too much problems. Drink plenty of water, get lots of rest, keep an eye out for the more severe symptoms that I just mentioned. Rehydration salts. Right, is that right? Oral rehydration. Gatorade-type fluids. Right. Uh, we've got a really nice article, I believe you wrote, on diarrhea treatment. Right, and uh, to make your oh, own no. oral rehydration solution, simply take a liter of water, uh, put six to eight teaspoons of sugar in it, uh, a teaspoon of salt, a half a teaspoon of salt substitute. That uh, you'll find that by the salt in the, in the supermarket. It's what people that with high blood pressure who can't have salt but like the taste of it. That's what they use. It's a great source of potassium. Essentially, it's just potassium chloride, and then uh, maybe a quarter of a teaspoon of baking soda for bicarbonate. So I think that that would be a pretty pretty good start to get people rehydrated absolutely no i just want to mention something some of these safety things that i've been mentioning are not necessarily for e coli but for general food and water safety right you know thoroughly cooking your food always right. washing your hands watching watching yes. out for contaminated water sources you're not absolutely you're not you know, you may not get E. coli from a contaminated stream that's rushing down, but there's a whole lot of other things that we've talked about before right. that could be in the water. So just, I, I'm usually speaking about general safety measures. Right. You're specifically mentioning E. coli, just so everyone understands. Right. Now, there are some circumstances <clears throat> where you're going to want to have some over-the-counter medicine like Imodium uh, in the United States. It's a generic uh, name is loperamide, right. and that can be given to slow movement of food through the intestine. It helps control mild to moderate diarrhea. However, it shouldn't be used in people that are have a high fever, who have bloody stools, or who are people who are under about the age of or infants under the age of two now they do use in some circumstances antibiotics antibiotics are good for e coli when they infect the when it affect, infects other organs the bladder and things like that but it's not usually so helpful when it's in the intestines many antibiotics have diarrhea as a side effect however 
in severe cases of diarrhea, if you reach a point that you have to do that and you have been wise and have accumulated antibiotics in aquatic or uh, avian or whatever form that you can, then antibiotics such as azithromycin, ZPAC, Cipro, Ciprofloxacin, uh, or Rifaximin, those are sometimes given to end symptoms more quickly. Remember the risk, though, that I mentioned. It's mostly given for what they call traveler's diarrhea, and that's uh, something, as I said, that you indeed might encounter, but uh, right now it's given to people who have traveled or are traveling to third world countries. Right. Prevention is much more important. Oh, yes. So here are some strategies for keeping E. coli and other infections at bay. You want to wash fruits and vegetables thoroughly. That's very, very important. Peeling them is not enough because we're peeling them with your hands. And when you peel them, you're still holding the fruit, including the the peeled portions. Exactly. So that's an issue. Avoid cross-contaminations by using clean utensils, pans, platters. You know, uh, make sure that you don't have a lot of people sharing from one plate. Keep those raw meats away from other foods and away from other clean items. Um, don't defrost uh, meat if you happen to be able, be, if you're able to freeze meat. Don't defrost it on on the counter. Always put it in a refrigerator. Or if you uh, in normal times, you can defrost meat in a microwave. I guess nowadays, uh, refrigerate leftovers immediately as be, as best you can. Uh, drink only pasteurized milk products if you can. Avoid raw milk if you can. And don't prepare food if you happen to have diarrhea. Now, you should always make sure that all meat is cooked properly. The U.S. Department of Agriculture does provide guidelines for cooking meat and poultry to proper temperatures to make sure that all bacteria are killed, including E. coli. Now, you can use a meat thermometer. I think that that is a medical supply, by the way. A meat thermometer is very important to check that meat is cooked to certain temperatures poultry would be about a 165 degrees uh, all this is fahrenheit uh, ground meat eggs 160 degrees fahrenheit steaks pork chops roasts um, fish shellfish uh, 145 degrees and you have to make sure that it, that it is cooked thoroughly and that indeed you are cooking in a fashion that does not allow any part of the meat that or that you're cooking to not be thoroughly cooked. This is what's thought to have possibly been a factor in the Ebola epidemic because people were cooking their food over these 55-gallon drums of or essentially setting garbage on fire and cooking these bats that are the natural reservoir for Ebola. Like on a grill that's sitting on these barrels. And so I looked at one of them, a picture of one of them, and you you see a chard in one area and and not chard in another area. And so honestly, I think... hanging off, so it was only getting partial heat. And so it was probably not completely... The virus was not completely destroyed. Destroyed, right. And so that is a big issue, and that is your duty your duty as medic is to make sure that infections infectious disease does not run rampant among your people prevention is, is the key, key. Yes. <laughs> okay you know well, i don't have too much time left but i do want to say something yes well, um we talked a little bit in a recent video about putting together some seral saline or wound care economical right and easy. Something that ordinarily you can't get without a prescri- uh, prescription. 
and something that you certainly probably can't afford in, in grand quantities, but very important to take care of wounds and keep people healthy. Mm-hmm. So with limited supplies, you can actually do this, as, as I describe in the video, with just a pot with a lid and a heat source, of course, and some water and salt. And so what you should do in this circumstance is very simple. And the heat source, let's just mention, <clears throat> can be a stove, of course, but it can also be um, over a charcoal grill, mm-hmm. over a gas grill, or over a wood stove or or wood, or, fire, or wood fire, absolutely, but, a pit. Yeah, just about anything. And so what I want you to do in this circumstance is you take a liter of fluid, liter, liter of water, mm-hmm. rather, and what well, let's mention that that should be filtered, no debris, right? <clears throat> whatsoever, exactly. So, depending on what your water source right. is, make right. sure that the cl- it's clear, clear water. We want nothing right. in this water um, that you can see. So, right. clear water. All right, and so you put, take a liter of that water and you put it in the pot, cover with the lid. Oh, after adding two teaspoons of salt, preferably non-iodized. If you want to do the same, non-iodized right. salt. And make to make saline solution, mm-hmm. and this will make saline solution that approximates <clears throat> the concentration of salt in your body, which is the best way to make things heal. Although even without a lot of salt, it would, as long as it's sterile, it still would be reasonable to use. But saline is probably a little bit better. If you have the salt, use it. We'll put right. it that way. So what I want you to do is get that pot with that water in the pot with the lid on to boiling for about fifteen minutes or so. And then allow it to cool with the lid on. Do not take the lid off. Then get some uh, sterile canning <clears throat> jars with sterile lids. Put it on there. Put the, the sterile lids on. And then that is some sterile, normal saline that you can use for cleaning. Now, that's using very limited materials, as you can see. And it will last for a good 30 days or right. more. I mean, I keep seeing that it only lasts for 30 days. I think it will last for more, but I do too, because it seals. Right. What happens with those, if we're talking about mason jars, is you'll actually get a a seal from the hot water. Right. Most likely. It's not going to be as good a seal as if you use pressure canning. So let's talk about that for a minute. Right. Now, there are wonderful pressure canners that can be used not only on a stove, but over a gas grill. Over charcoal, over fire, your your uh, situation is you're going to have to reach 15 pounds of pressure. 15 PSI. 15 PSI. That's your key. And you need to do this for a solid 30 minutes. So you need to be able to keep your heat source going. Again, it's going to depend on your type of pressure cooker. Or ideally, a pressure canner, which has a larger capacity. So, you know, you've got to make sure that you follow all of those instructions. And another thing, because you are sealing mason jars in a sterilized fashion with a great seal, our sources have told us that you may be able to have the storage of that sterile water or saline for a much, much longer period of time, perhaps years. So uh, that would be your best bet if you want to put away water or sterile saline now for storage much later. That's, of course, and it depends a lot on the seal 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you get a, a really good seal on that, and people who are used to canning, they understand, believe me, when they put up their tomatoes or their green beans or any of the other foods that they put away, they know when they have a good seal. Yeah. It's very easy to tell to tell the tops if you're able to compress them and make the little popping sound, you do not have a good seal. So once you've assured that you have a good seal and you know what you're doing, you may be able to put that away. Now, if you're going to be bugging out or moving away from your food storage, you're going to need things that are light and portable and most likely mason jars full of water or saline are not going to be so portable. So it is something that you can do on the fly if somebody gets an injury you can make the sterile saline and let it cool and then use that for wound care and wound cleaning that's right and don't forget that once the seal is broken it's probably good for about 48 hours no more really than that if you really want to say that it's sterile so that's one thing now we are out of time i want to thank everybody for listening in for nurse amy This is Dr. Bones, Joe Alton, MD, and Amy Alton, ARMP, thanking you for listening to the Survival Medicine Hour. See you next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies and lots of other good stuff contact us send your email to dr bones podcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website see you next week